Friday Night Frights, brought to you by Starburst Magazine. Hello and welcome to Friday Night Frights, the weekly horror podcast from Starburst Magazine. I'm John Tolson, and on tonight's show we have Brian Peck, star of Return of the Living Dead. You see that movie, Night of the Living Dead? Sure. They ship those bodies. Well, say hello. The dead have risen from the grave. Mister, there's a hundred of those things out there. How many did you say? A hundred? And now the question is, how do we get them back into the ground? When you made the film back in 1985, did you think it would become such a cult classic? Absolutely not. No way. I had no idea. You know, it's so funny when you work on a movie, uh, you know, you, I mean, you know, obviously some movies you work on, you go, well, this is pretty crappy, you know, or you work on other things and go, well, this is cool. But, you know, makes no difference whatsoever what you think when you're making it. You have no idea, you know, how it's going to turn out or what the success is going to be, you know, when it's done. I was, I've, I had the good fortune of being very good friends with Ronnie McDowell yeah. um, for about the last eight years of his life. You know, and here was a guy whose entire life, you know, had been in, in films and, you know, the guy had been in some of the, you know, greatest classic movies of all time. Yeah. And then of course he'd been in lots of, you know, crappy movies. And I said to him one day, I said, I said, so when you're making a movie, you know, can you tell if it's going to be a classic or not? And Roddy said, you know, he said, you can't, he says, making a piece of crap and making a classic feels very much the same. <laughs> and so you just don't know. I mean, all I knew was that I was having a great time and I was really excited to be in a zombie movie because I was a big horror movie fan. Um, and I was a big fan of Dan O'Bannon. So I just, you know, was thrilled to be there and thrilled to be making the movie. Um, and I had no idea how it was going to do. Yeah, and, you know, and it was a it was a fairly low budget movie, so I didn't even know, you know, honestly how wide of a release it was going to get. I, I really didn't know anything, and um, you know, uh, the fact that it turned out to be as good of a movie as it was, and then achieve any kind of cult status has been, you know, total surprise and 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 just a very very fortunate for me. Brian, I see you've been in three of the Return of the Living Dead films. How come? That just sort of came from um, uh, sheer obnoxious persistence on my part. I, uh, I I was so excited to do the first film and had so much fun making it, I kind of wouldn't let them make any more without having me involved in some way. <laughs> so. You played a lot of zombies in part two. I did, yeah. When when it came time to do part two, Kenny Myers, who had done a lot of the makeup effects for the, the first film, he and I had become, you know, we really hit it off in the making of the first movie, and we became very good friends. And so when it came time to do the second one, you know, he had come up with the idea that, you know, a lot of these zombie parts could be played by the same actors, you know, just by changing the makeup. So he just wanted to hire, like, four you know, an actress and three actors to play all of the zombie, yeah. you know, bits. And he called to see if I would be interested, you know, and of course I 
I jumped at the chance. I was like, well, yeah, I'd do that. You know, I'd do that for free. So, um, I went in and met with Ken Wiederhorn, the director of the film. Yeah. And I remember, I remember he looked at me like I was crazy. He couldn't quite figure out why one of the stars of the first film would come back and play a bunch of zombie parts. But, uh, <laughs> You know, he he realized pretty quickly after after shooting began that um, I was kind of a geek and you were game for anything. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah, <laughs> anything, any anything. You know, I I always I said during the first movie, you know, I was I I came in on my days off work just because the idea of sitting at home when I could be on set. I, I just couldn't do it. I had to get in my car and drive to work, even if I wasn't working as an actor that day. So, you know, I was there w- willing to do anything. So Dan O'Bannon just said, well, okay, here, help operate the split dog or here, be a zombie. Or yeah. I, I just did whatever they needed me to do. Your character in the first film, Scuzz, dies a pretty spectacular death. How was that to film? You know, it was... Um, it was actually really exciting to me because uh, as a horror movie fan and a kid growing up wanting to be an actor and wanting to be in horror films, you know, one of the things you always dream of is uh, getting to have some sort of spectacular death. <laughs> and so uh, I was thrilled. I was really, really excited to shoot that scene. And it was a bit uncomfortable to film, but you know, with the uh, tubes glued to my head and running down my pant leg. And, you know, I was covered in sticky blood from head to toe. But again, I was, um, you know, so excited to be filming this sort of crazy death scene, you know, being pulled through the window and having my head bit by a zombie. (laughs) Um, That was honestly my, my favorite, my favorite scene to film and and is sort of my favorite scene in the movie. I'm always a little disappointed as an actor that I'm, you know, not not in the last half hour of the movie. I tried to convince Dan when we were shooting the movie that because I was pulled out the window and was being rained on when the zombie bit my head, I kept trying to convince Dan that I should come back as a zombie because <laughs> I was I was in the trioxid infused rain, but um that wasn't uh that that didn't happen, but but the fact that as an actor I'm not in the last half hour of the movie is always made up for by the fact that my death scene was so cool. Well, that's certainly one of the things that stuck in my mind after seeing the film. What was Dan O'Bannon like to work with? Was it difficult, as some people have said? You know, I, I think it's interesting <clears throat> because I I think you could ask you know everyone in the cast that question, and you would actually get several different answers. And the answers would probably all be true. It kind of depended on who you were and what your experience was. Um, for whatever reason, Dan was definitely harder on the on the girls yeah. than he was on the guys. And I don't know why that was, but but he was. And so that's why I think if you ask, and he was particularly hard on on Beverly. Um, you know, but again, it was one of those situations. Beverly is so sweet and she's so kind and she's so, you know, kind of has this cute little voice. And I mean, the way she is, the way Tina is in the movie where she like says, you know, Oh, fudge. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is not a character. I mean, that is, that is Beverly. God bless her. She's like the, the sweetest girl on the planet. And here all these years later, she's still like one of the sweetest women you'll ever meet. And 
there was something about that that I think Dan really wanted to poke at. He kind of wanted to pop that balloon. <laughs> and yeah, so absolutely. he, um, you know, really, really ran her through the ringer. So if you ask Beverly her experience of working with Dan, you know, I think she has like mini Vietnam flashbacks, <laughs> you know, and like, goes, oh, God, I don't know. Um, you ask me and I have nothing um, but great things to say about him. Um, you know, I went into the project as a fan of his already. I was well aware of who Dan O'Bannon was. Yeah. Um, Alien was like one of my top five movies of all time. I had the I had the poster, the one sheet for Alien hanging in my bedroom when I got Return of the Living Dead. <laughs> um, so I was such a fan of Dan's and I had such admiration and respect for his talent that I was beyond thrilled with the opportunity to get to work with him. Um, I did not find Dan to be difficult. What Dan was, was extremely detail oriented and really um, 110% sure of what he wanted. And um, I actually had had I actually loved that. I had no problem with that. The way I saw it was, look, I'm an actor. I've been hired to play this role that you've written, and now you're directing. You know, I'm here to help you complete your vision. Tell me what you want me to do. Um, and I did that without argument. <laughs> so um, I never had any issues with him, you know, because he was so sort of uh, – staunch about what he wanted. I know that, you know, some of the other actors, I just think they wanted to have more of a back and forth and more of a like, you know, collaborative kind of situation. And it, it, Dan just knew what he wanted so clearly. And the fact that we didn't have a lot of time to, to screw around, you know, Dan was pretty severe and he where Dan could be his own worst enemy was that he somewhat lacked the social skills to, you know, sugarcoat some of the things he, he wanted the actors to do. And I know there are other directors who are, who are just as adamant as Dan is in their vision. Mm -hmm. I just think they're better at getting their way by sort of sugarcoating it and and (laughs) making the actors feel more secure where Dan was more of a like, no, do it like I said sure. kind of guy. Sure. And uh, and I had no issue with that. I just said, hey, tell me what you want me to do. I'm here to do it. And and I know some of the other actors, you know, it was it was not as, as easy for them. Um, I thought Dan was great. I, I had not one negative moment with him the entire time we filmed. And um, he could not have been more more gracious with me. How did you keep up that level of intensity on the set day after day? You know, I I can't speak for the other actors. I know for myself, you know, I um, I, I always wanted to be an actor from a very, very early age. Um, and in my real life as a kid, I was a kid who had a huge, vivid imagination and... Um, you know, I, I, I'm an only child. I didn't have brothers and sisters, and I used to have to create um, my own fun. And I would I would build haunted houses in my bedroom. I would, 
pretend I was on the moon. I would get a refrigerator box and pretend I was in a spaceship. I mean, I was, I, I spent my entire life pretending. And so for me, acting was never a lot more than just pretending. Yeah. It was just, you know, let's pretend that this is what's happening right now. And this is where I am. And this is how I'm reacting. So uh, you know, uh, God bless any actor who's into Stanislavski or, you know, Lee Strasberg and method acting. I, I'm not that guy. I'm just the guy that when they say action, I just pretend what's going on is sure. what's really going on. And then when they say cut, I laugh and, you know, go get a donut at the craft service table. Um, yeah. So I'm not one of these guys where whatever, where the, the part really, you know, affects me or I take it home with me. I just save it for the moment the camera turns on. Yeah. So in, in, in Return of the Living Dead, where we did have this sort of level of hysteria, uh, again, that's fun for me. I, yeah. I, you know, the kind of crazier, the more intense or crazy I have to act, the more fun I have. And so for me, it was like, you know, when Dan yelled action, I just went for it. Well, you worked with Brian Usner on part three. Was he more of a sugarcoating type of director? He, you know, Brian was very different than Dan. I, you know, again, I only worked for three days on on part three, so I certainly didn't have, you know, the full experience like I had had on the first film. Um, but the scene we shot was pretty complicated and pretty intense. It's those, you know, I was one of those ballistics technicians who get ripped apart by the zombie in that in that, you know, army facility weird room. Um, you know, and it was cramped quarters and there was lots of blood shooting everywhere and um, it was really hot and not an easy sequence to film. And um, the thing I remember about Brian is he is like the calmest guy you will ever meet. I mean, yeah. you know, you would think he was on Valium because he's just so calm. You know, he's, just, he's very, he's very soft-spoken, calm, doesn't seem to get frazzled easily and, um, you know, just just gets it done in a very calm, you know, in control manner, smiles a lot, laughs a lot, seems to be having a really good time. Um, the funny thing about Dan was Dan did not seem like he was having a good time. I know he was happy to be making his movie. I know he was very happy to, you know, have the opportunity to direct a film. Yeah. But it all stressed him out so much that Dan really, really felt the pressure. And I think that's another reason why sometimes he wasn't as gracious as some people would have liked him to be. Um, you know, there wasn't a day that went by where you didn't see that Dan was under a lot of stress and under a lot of pressure. But I, but I have to say, I think that Dan's intensity uh, you know, m while it may not have uh, been a lot of fun for him, I don't know, I think, but I think that's the reason the film is as good as it is. He wasn't a well man, was he? Dan had had a number of health issues, yeah. and, and his his ongoing health issue was, was colitis, yeah. um, which, I, which I believe, you know, eventually was the, the primary reason for, for his passing. Yeah. Um, and at the time that we did Return of the Living Dead, you know, I had a lot of sympathy for Dan because he had had a, a terrible bout with colitis not long before we started shooting, you know, and it would, it would land him in the hospital. 
And I know he had been very ill and had done a stint in the hospital not long before we started shooting. And then when we shot the movie, and I'll never understand why this was the case, and it was really, really unfortunate. You know, Dan was not the original director. Toby Hooper was originally supposed to direct the film. Dan had written it, and Toby Hooper was to direct it. And then the film ran into all sorts of legal issues and financing issues, and it got put on hold. And as the time sort of stretched on, you know, Toby eventually jumped ship and said, well, I don't know if this movie's ever going to get made, and went on to um, make Life Force, or shot under the title Space Vampires, yeah. which he did which he did over there in your lovely country, yeah, and sure, yeah. Dan O'Bannon also wrote. And so the decision was, you know, so here they were without a director, and um, Hemdale, the production company, John Daly and Derek Gibson, yeah. um, you know, decided to have Dan come on board to direct his own script. And I think that was a, well, obviously that was a really smart decision, but at the time they made that decision and did that, I don't know, once they handed the reins over to Dan, I don't feel like they ever totally trusted him. So consequently, the the production on that movie was very, they were very controlling and they definitely kept an eye you know, on Dan. And I know he felt that pressure the whole time he made the movie that they were constantly looking over his shoulder, constantly questioning all of his decisions and really hadn't given him their total vote of confidence. And, um, and I know that drove Dan kind of crazy and rightfully so, you know, he just didn't feel like he had a lot of, a lot of support. And, um, and then the fact that, you know, his style didn't mesh with some of the actors. I just felt like Dan, Dan didn't, when he was making the movie, I know he didn't feel like he had a lot of people on his side. And that's another one of the reasons that for me, I really, really, really wanted to be a member of Dan's team. And he knew, he knew that I was definitely on his team and it was a very small team. (laughs) you know and and i don't say all this now in retrospect just because he has sadly passed away you know i'm one of the few guys who has been telling how much i enjoyed working with dan you know for over 20 years now um you know i think some people have sort of softened their criticism because you know the poor guy isn't around to defend himself but um but but people were pretty pretty harsh to him during the making of the movie. And and believe me, he didn't do himself any favors, um, you know, because he just could be very contrary yeah. and very argumentative. Uh, but I don't know. I just, I, I thought, I thought Dan was kind of a genius and I just, uh, to me, I was just there to sort of, to serve his needs and was, you know, definitely totally on his team. And I, and I saw what was going on at the time and I thought it was pretty, uh, pretty frustrating, you know. Your first film was The Last American Virgin. What are your memories of that film? Th- that was that was a very that you know. I, I well, first of all, just to, just sort of in general, it, it's so amazing to me and very 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 
what's the word? I, I, I don't know. I, I feel, I feel very, very fortunate and very lucky, you know, that I made two pretty low budget movies in the eighties, yeah. um, that could have absolutely gone nowhere. I mean, you know, these are two movies that when I was making them, I was very excited to be working on a film. I was very excited, you know, to be, uh, paid as a professional actor. I mean, they were really great experiences, but neither of those movies where I have ever predicted would, um, have turned into what they've turned into. And so the fact that I did two movies in the eighties and both of them now <laughs> seem to have become kind of mm. cult classics. Yeah. I, I just don't, I just don't know how I got that lucky because, yeah. you know, there are a lot of actors on the planet way more famous than me who've been in much bigger movies, you know, that have kind of come and gone without leaving any sort of mark on the public consciousness in any way, shape or form. Yeah. So yeah. I sometimes pinch myself and go, how did I manage to be in these two movies, you know, that people are still interested in and still, um, you know, have such a love for, you know, 30 years later. It's, it's kind of crazy. Um, Last American Virgin was a, was a, you know, another incredible experience for me, primarily because it was my first film. Um, and not only my first film, but my first really professional acting job. I had, uh, I grew up in San Diego, California, and I had done some, you know, local theater um, but other than that, you know, it was the first thing I ever auditioned for mm. much uh, first audition I ever went on and I got it and, you know, gave me a very skewed perspective on the acting business. You know, everyone told me how competitive it was and how difficult it was to break into. Um, and here I go on my very first movie audition and I get yeah. the part. And next thing I know, I'm, you know, the lead in a movie. Yeah. And I thought to myself, well, this isn't so hard. Why does everyone say this yeah, is so hard? Sure. Sure. I found out years later that it is hard. Yeah. But uh, but at the time, it was all just very simple. Um, it was a great experience. I mean, you know, it was a you know, it was a young cast. We were all young. It was a lot of people's first films, um, and we just had a blast. And you know, we really bonded and had a great time. Um, Timmy Robertson, who played Lucy in the not Lucy, sorry, she plays Lucy in Twin Peaks. She played Rose. And yeah. um, last American Virgin, she's sort of Diane Franklin's, you know, sidekick and yeah. best friend. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, Kimmy and I started the same day. I think they had been filming like three or four days, and then Kimmy and I started the same day. And um, you know, they were the cool kids, and we were kind of the quirky, nerdy kids. And uh, she and I bonded like the first day of shooting. And it's so funny. It's been 30 years since we made that movie. And, um, she's still one of my dearest friends on earth. I mean, I, I see her all the time, talk to her all the time. And you still do the reunions with the cast of return of the living dead. You know, we do these, uh, you know, in the last five years or so we've started, uh, there've been a handful of screenings and then there's been, you know, these conventions that we'll do, yeah. uh, so it's pretty great. You know, we've all gotten reacquainted and kind of become friends again. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at least a handful of times a year, all get to see each other. And, you know, we'll go to a convention out of town. And then, of course, you know, in the night we'll all, you know, go to the bar and drink or go out to dinner. Or It's really, really amazing because we're just, you know, we all have this thing in common. And, 
and we get to hang out and you know see each other and have sort of become friends all over again. What did you think to the More Brains documentary? Tommy Hudson and Mikey Perez were the guys who produced that. They just did an amazing job. It is, you know, finally, once and for all, truly, truly kind of the definitive documentary. You know, there have been, there have been little special features here and there on previous DVD editions, but, you know, it was only a handful of the actors and they were very brief little interviews. And um, uh, this documentary you know, for anyone who's a fan of the movie, this documentary is sort of a must-see because it is literally every single cast member, you know, did an interview, including the two actors who played the paramedics. Um, you know, they interviewed Bill Stout, our production designer, yeah. all of the makeup, you know, all of the makeup effects guys, including Bill Munns, you know, who got fired two weeks into the shooting. <laughs> and and I give I give Bill a tremendous amount of credit because. You know, he's 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 taken quite. He's he's definitely been drugged through the mud the last twenty five <laughs> years in stories and interviews. Yeah. And I thought it was very gracious of him to come in and do an interview for the documentary. And he speaks very candidly about the whole situation. And um, yeah, it's pretty great. So no, I, I'm I, I, I it's, the only sad thing to me is that. Um, uh, you guys over there in the UK are getting this great, awesome DVD that we don't even have here in the States. What did you do to Freddy? What's wrong with him? And it's man! You know, I think it's time you tell us what the fuck's going on. I don't on. have to tell you anything, Dick Brain. We think you should. <laughs> tell him, goddammit. Friday Night Frights. Well, that's it for tonight's Friday Night Frights. But don't forget you can reach me via the Starburst website or on Twitter at Starburst underscore mag. Until next time, stay, stay scared. scared. You are